Welcome to another exciting episode of the Asylum Podcast, the most prolific podcast in the world. And as always, I am your humble, humble host, Joaquin Figueroa. And today I am very excited to introduce you to a gentleman who's been through a lot in his life. At the very early age of 19, he was charged with attempted murder and served eight years in prison. In those eight years, he put his head in the books and achieved his associate's degree. Since his release, he continued his educational career and eventually achieved his EDD. Since then, he devotes his life to helping others make sure that they do not uh, stay within the vicious cycle of incarceration that many have done before them. Now, later this year, he will be releasing his book, From a Din to a Doctorate. And since this episode was recorded, he has been featured as a guest speaker on TEDx Sing Sing. Without further ado, here is Dr. Craig Waleed. I am crazy. But you know what else? I don't give a fuck. Welcome to the Asylum Podcast. today sir i'm very well Joaquin. thanks for having me here oh How no problem i'm i'm doing very very well i'm i'm so thankful that you took the time out uh to come in today and you know have this conversation with us um so for people that more than likely don't know who you are please uh give us a rundown of you know how you came up and you know where you were raised things like that yeah man so I'm originally from Rochester, New York, the west side, right off of Genesee Street. Okay. Genesee and Magnolia, right? Two streets, uh, two houses behind the uh, store that sits there now. Uh, that store that sits on the corner of Genesee and Magnolia, when I lived there, it was a gas station. Uh, that was back in 1970 when I was born. I lived there from 1970 to 1983. So I went to like 19 school, number 58 school, when okay. it was on Moran Street, long before it was on University Avenue. Um, went to Marshall High School around the time I was 13. Uh, even that, let me go back to uh, Magnolia Street. I even played for uh, Southwest Coast. Okay. Um, yeah, I had to throw that in there, you know, Southwest. <laughs> yeah. You know, but um, anyway, yeah, around, around the time I was about 13, we moved out to Henrietta. And so by the time I got to Henrietta, I was a little rebellious. I was upset about moving from from the city. I wanted to be back in the city, so I rebelled. I rebelled in every way possible. And I think also, you know, coming up, like many young men, mm -hmm. I have been um, conditioned to, to um, equate masculinity and I think what it meant to be a man with right. a lot of violence and hostility and things of that nature. And so um, by the time I got to Henrietta, um, I was acting out on all these behaviors all these beliefs yeah that and, um, frustration kind of built up and was starting to release itself yeah and so i was trying to externalize you know my beliefs and what it meant to be a man or be a dude or you know to be that nigga you mm -hmm. know to be honest with you mm -hmm. and i was trying to show these dudes out here um in the suburbs um y'all ain't no real dude so i'm gonna turn up every every chance i get to right. show y'all what a real cat is like of course you right. know so growing up in henrietta um from junior high, I think from like eighth grade to high school, um, all the way to twelfth grade where I graduated, I was like on some turn up shit, you know. So always fighting, um, 
always after the girls, cutting yeah. class, smoking weed, drinking, um, getting arrested, you know, just all kind of stuff, all kind yeah. of wild stuff. Yeah. Was there um, was there anything that really built up that animosity uh, that you've experienced prior to then? That that at this point when you that when you got into this new environment that it made you want to lash out like that? Absolutely, and I think that's the issue um, with many of us people mm-hmm. uh, when when we find people who are acting out, doing things that are. Um, anti-social things that don't mesh with the social norms mm-hmm. um, oftentimes something has happened to them um, but yes yeah, something had happened to me a series of things had happened to me but I did not realize that things had happened to me until years later so I just knew I had this pent-up anger and frustration working within me but I didn't know what it really was so right. I would just I was almost explosive on many levels, but I knew how to act, you know, right. so people would be surprised when they found out that I got in trouble, that I got in a fight, that I got arrested or whatever, but then other people would, would not be surprised because they only knew that side of me, you know? Right. Yeah, but uh, I think... Um, what were the dynamics, like the mean? family dynamics when you transitioned from the city to Henrietta? Well, always, man, I grew up in a single-parent home. Okay. So it was just my mother. My mother worked a lot. So my sister, she's uh, 13 years older than me. She raised me pretty much between her, my mother, and my aunt, my mother's sister. You know, so that that was the dynamics. And the consistent men in my life was like my uncle, okay. my aunt's uh, husband. Um, he was like my first father figure. And I had mm. I have two older brothers, but they're like 15, 16 years older than me. We all have different fathers. And so... They lived with their fathers, and then by the time I was coming of age, still living in uh, Rochester on Magnolia Street, they left and went to college. So, like, my grandfather lived across the street. Um, there was me and my mother and my sister in the house, and then I spent the week sometime over at my aunt's house. I went to school with her kids, yeah. but I'd come home on the weekends, you know. But before that, before going to my aunt's house, my mother used to send me to sit, uh, different neighbors' houses, or I shouldn't say different neighbors, but different daycare providers or yeah. different family members to watch over me, you know, before she started sending me to my aunt's house. Okay. And so it was during that time that, you know, I experienced some abuses. And, you know, I was very young, like under the age of four. Okay. You know, so there yeah. was like physical abuse, sexual abuse, you know, and these things must have just embedded in my emotional space. Well, more than likely, yes, uh, because I, uh, I mean, obviously... I I have no, you know, no kind of degrees in that or anything mm-hmm. like that. But I can only imagine that in the time where your your brain is developing, right, you don't know what is normal, what is not normal. So it is not uncommon for for you to experience something like that and think like, oh, well, this must be normal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then so as you grow up and you get into certain situations, um, all you know is is you know the the certain little things that, that were embedded in your brain and you know and you don't know how to really analyze that in a young mind right and, and that's that's piece of it that's a big piece of it not understanding what happened but on a, on another level there is what what happens is that there is a trauma that takes place you know there's a physical trauma and there's an emotional trauma and in an underdeveloped or developing brain, mm-hmm. yeah, that stymies the growth, that slows down the growth, you right. know, in certain regards. And so emotionally, I had been stunted, mm-hmm. you know. And so once I graduated from high school, it was like a year after I got out of high school, I got arrested. 
for assault and attempt murder. Okay. I got sentenced for four to 12 years. My number was 90B0400. Okay. Never forget that number. No, of course you know, not. I wouldn't even say that was my number. That's the number they gave me. That was that was your identity. No, that was not my. Well, identity. not not in in a <laughs> sense where that defines you. Right. You know what I mean? But you know, inmate number, you know, in in the eyes of the government. In I the eyes say. of the government. In the eyes of the system. Yeah, because yes. you know they don't see the incarcerated bodies Correct. as individuals that come from families. They don't see those people who are incarcerated as human beings yeah they see them as inmates or they see them as numbers yep. um, and and i think the byproduct of referring to someone as an inmate or some other title or name other than their given name um removes their humanity yep. and when you remove someone's humanity it gives you room to do anything to them mm -hmm. and if you think about the incarcerated populations here in america they get the worst treatment and many of them come from the worst environments. I can I can only imagine. Yeah. Know. And then when they're in prison, prison makes things worse. And yeah. so oftentimes many of them return back to their communities in mm -hmm. worse conditions than when they went inside. Well, not only that, but uh, at a certain age when you're put into that environment and, um, you know, that becomes pretty much the only thing you know for how, how long were you in there for? I was in there for eight years and I went in, I was 19 years old. Right. So, yeah, a lot of my formative years was spent in there. Mm -hmm. And so spending that time in there, it was a, a it was almost like a wall, man, yeah. you know, between the environment and myself. You Correct. Know? Not allowing myself to become a part and part, yeah, part of the, the environment, even though I lived there. So I had to find ways to transcend the environment. Right. You know, because I knew I didn't belong there, though I made bad mistakes. You right. Know? So I started doing knowledge of self, man. I started conducting, you know, like honest inventory of myself, you yeah. know, like identifying and deconstructing my ish, you know. Right. And as I was doing that, I essentially began to, to heal myself and started eliminating, you know, like toxic habits of thinking and behavior, you know. And I started really doing the knowledge and start replacing them with like things like empathy patience you know yeah and learning to identify my thoughts and feelings and the connections and being able to express them you know right yeah you know and i commend you a lot on that because not everyone that goes into that situation at a young age actually uh thinks of it as like hey you know like this is something that i could change um this is something that i brought to myself mm -hmm. you know um there are a lot of young men who go into that system they that becomes that, you know, a part of their life and that becomes a part of their identity in ways. And then, you know, now they're stuck in the system where now it's just, hey, how long do I have until I go back in there and I and I feel my normal? Right. You it's know? cyclical. And it's, it's, it's interesting that you said that because I remember leaving the county jail, heading to Elmira mm -hmm. to the reception center. And there was a cat on the van with us. He had already been upstate, but he was coming back down to the county to face some charges so now he's going back upstate with all us newbies right he's on the bus man bouncing up and down saying man i can't wait to get back up there yeah i'm like what the hell is wrong with this cat i ask him why you can't wait to get up there you know i'm a newbie i'm scared man i'm nervous but i can't let nobody know that yeah you know he's like that's where all my homeboys at yep you know that's what we're gonna have fun i'm like shit this nigga crazy right you know right that was their normalcy 
Yeah. They were, yeah. They, he was really going back home. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But once I got there, Lord, I knew, like, everybody, a lot of people in there, I could fight, I could get a knife, you know, stab. But I was like, I, I can't survive that. Right. Somebody going to stab me, you know. I, I can't live like that. So, for me, I found solace in books. I just started spending a lot of time reading, and that kind of separated me. Mm. Nobody didn't really mess with me. Right. After I started reading, I started going to the law library, the regular library. Cats started coming to me, yo, man, can you help me read this? Can you help me write this? Yo, man, I got this book my lady sent me. Yeah. Will you read it, highlight it like you do your books, and then give it to me? I'm like, it's your book. He's like, yo, but I want you to highlight all the interesting in the in the deep parts. I'm like, okay. Yeah. You know, but that insulated me. Mm-hmm. And once I got an opportunity to go to college, I went to college. Right. You know. Did I, you did you start college within the system or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was inside the system. I was taking all these vocational programs. I realized, man, I'm gonna cut my finger off or something. I can't mm-hmm. do this stuff. I'm not to handle this stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, but. I had finished high school. A lot of cats in there didn't finish high school. So I became a teacher's aide. Okay. And through becoming a teacher's aide, I started realizing I could teach. This is what I could do. Mm. I could teach. And then so I was in um, I was in Orleans Correctional Facility. That's like right next to Attica, right behind Attica. Okay. And I was in there, and they had a college program. I, I made my way over there. Took the little interest test. They were like, oh, wow, you got high scores. You know, you want to be a clerk? I was like, sure. So I became a clerk. Then I became a tutor. You know, started taking courses. Yeah. By the time I got out in 9-7, I had an associate's degree. Wow. That's, that's wonderful, man. Yeah, and I was like, yo, this is what I'm going to do. Right. You know, because I had been so used to living, <clears throat> excuse me, I had been so used to living in an institution, I realized that. I was institutionalized mm-hmm. on some level. So I realized also that when I go back to the community, the community is nothing but a makeup of various um, institutions. Right. You know, the family, the school, the church, you right. know, the jobs, the various jobs. So I'm like, what institution do I want to dedicate myself to? What institution? And it was school. It was right. a natural fit for me. So I went to school. That's wonderful, man. Yeah. Just because, um, I, and I, I can only imagine that you've come across so many different personalities, you know, in and out of the system um, where not, not a lot of people are very uh, different, but at the same time, it's really like their their want for change that, that you know, that changes, I'd, I'd imagine. Um, you know what I mean? Um so, like, within the system, was there a specific thing that you saw that thought, like, I can really make a difference in these gentlemen's, you know, in, in these people's lives mm-hmm. so that they can want better for themselves? Yeah. And what that was was the literacy rate was so low mm. because I was a tutor. And so I was working in the classroom. It was called A. B E adult basic education. Okay. <clears throat> I taught some men ABCs. Some wow. men didn't know ABCs. Wow. I taught some men to study for their GEDs. 
and everything in between. Mm -hmm. And the teacher in there basically just sat at their desk and did whatever. They weren't invested in the students. So I invested in, that's when I realized this is where I can make a difference. But I was also working on my plan to stay out. Okay. And once I got out and I stayed out and I got off paper, I was like, yo, I could show other people how to stay out. You yeah. Know? And I was done it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was working and then I, and, and I was in school first. I was in school and I got an internship at the same substance abuse agency that I was mandated to go to coming out of prison. Wow. Parole mandated me to go there. Mm. I, you know, I fought that. I was like, man, I'm going to school. They was like, no, you got to get on uh, uh, welfare to pay for this and I'm like no no I got family support you know I'm going to school I got this plan so eventually they let me go to school uh, I got out to the college brother Mike Brown he did an amazing job I don't know what he did but I met with him in admissions brother got me in school yo he was the first guy called me after I finished my last degree like yo I heard you you know you did that thing wow. you know so that guy got a dear spot in my heart yeah but um that's what I saw I saw my ability to teach you know, that was my potential. That was my strength. And so I wanted to do whatever I could do to sharpen that okay. so that I could reach other people, particularly those people who are at risk of going to prison, those people who are in prison, and those people who are coming out. I wanted more than anything, though, for my life to be an example to them. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, whatever you set your mind to, it's you possible. can do it. It's possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of obstacles out here, but if you come up with some realistic goals, you know, you sharpen yourself, you educate yourself, you train yourself, no matter what it is. If it's college, if it's truck driving, if it's anything you want to do, go for it. Get yeah. yourself degreed up, educated, certificate, licensed up. Yep. You know, cause, do it. Yeah, because you're brilliant. I met some of the most brilliant men in prison, too. Mm-hmm. Some of those men I met in prison that were so brilliant inspired me to study and become sharp. And as Nas would say, get chiseled. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. Because it's uh, the the obstacles that are in front of you are literally the ones that you create for yourself. You know? So, um, and, and we talked about it a little bit earlier. If you think you can or you can't do something, then you're absolutely right. What equals self? Yep. What equals self? Yep. So, um, another question. I, I know that we were talking about obstacles when you were released mm-hmm. uh, from from prison. What was the biggest obstacle that you had, uh, or did you find any obstacles with adjusting to life outside of it? I'm not sure, man. I'm not sure. Okay. I think maybe being in crowds, mm-hmm. you know, being amongst big groups of people. Yeah. I think that was the biggest thing for me. Okay. Yeah. I can see I can see how that would. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um because you come from an environment where big big groups of people where you don't necessarily know who are in those groups mm-hmm. is not a good thing. And I saw lots of bad things happen, you know, in yep. the yard, in the mess hall, mm-hmm. you know, on the dorm, on the cell block, and so just something about after you see enough trauma, violence, you yourself have engaged in it at some point you become hyper vigilant mm-hmm. right so i think that's what it was overall i was hyper vigilant and i think still to this day i still have some hyper vigilant tendencies right you know? i can only imagine yeah because all of the tendencies that you <coughs> that you've um 
a lot of a lot of the things that make you who you are right your de- your developmental stages in life mm-hmm. were in that situation so it's Absolutely. like you're not going to you know uh, uh, i i say that a lot about like weight loss and mm-hmm. and other things like that but habits lie dormant you that that was a habit that had to be built to to allow you to um to adjust to this life and to survive it you know what i mean but just because you're out in the real world and you learn how to live a life out here where you're not having to worry about those things i think that's still something that that still is it's you know it's an instinct it's a habit that you've built you know it's like post-traumatic stress disorder it it is you know i think that's exactly what it is right you know after living in such brutal and harsh conditions Mm -hmm. you know so just coming out trying to adjust to being in a normal way right you know i think that in and of itself right you know and it, uh, another thing that I'm happy that now, so in in these you know later years, um, it's becoming more and more of a thing, and I'm happy about that. Is the state of mental of men's specifically mental health, where people are speaking out on you know when you feel a certain way, talk to somebody about it, talk about your feelings, you know, put that out on the table. Um, you know, realize like, okay, you, you, you feel a certain way in certain situations. Why find out your why? Because the why would allow you to open up and, you know, you know, and allow you to correct that. Absolutely. Um, A lot of people don't look for their why. And now it is becoming a, a, an embraced thing for men to come out and actually try to figure out their why, because uh, in the conversation that we had over the phone the other day, we talked about um, the 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 generational um, issues that have happened where, you know, us as men, we can't we can't cry. We can't show emotion, man up, you know, those things coming stop from. Crying. Yep. Stop crying. Like, why are you acting like why are you doing that? that mm-hmm. That's a female trait. That's a girl's job. Yep, exactly. Or that's a girl's job. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Where. Those were those were issues that were brought down to us from generations who, you know, who maybe it was necessary at that time because everything was hard. And, you know, the man had to handle his business. We're in a we're in a new generation. But that had that seems to have like followed. You know what I mean? And that and that's where that's where it needs to end. I think I think with either my generation or, or like you guys generation that's where it started where we're like no i don't i don't think we have to go that route yeah yeah you know what i mean every generation gets wiser Mm -hmm. but every generation also gets wickeder yep you know yep so yeah i mean who we are is mostly my assessment by my assessment who we are is mostly a a a makeup of our emotion and mental being Mm -hmm. it's like we inhabit our bodies right and we are aware of our emotions mm-hmm. we are aware of ourselves so essentially who we are and what we are is our awareness and our emotional selves mm-hmm. you know and so being in touch with that part of ourselves the best that we can i think will lead to a more balanced life i agree with that yeah mm-hmm. <clears throat> or more balance uh sense of self right you know and i think uh it's very important for us to to really figure out who we are because a lot of us we know 
we know the person that we were programmed to be, but we don't right. know our true selves. Many of us, yeah. Correct. And that is a very arduous and painful process, mm-hmm. you know. It takes a lot of work. It does. It takes a lot of bravery, too. Mm-hmm. You know, but like Bob Marley saying, he said, you're running and you're running and you're running away, but you can't run away from yourself. Right. You know, so the Thanks. truth is always there. But I think, especially in this day and age, we are so inundated with distractions mm-hmm. outside sources. So we continue to be focused outside of ourselves. And mm-hmm. so we oftentimes are really not in tune with ourselves. Are you familiar with the book, The Mastery of Self? No. Uh, so um, The Mastery of Self, I, uh, for whatever reason, the name of the author is slipping. Um, but The Mastery of Self, what it, what it really uh, dives into is um, pretty much finding out who your true authentic self is, right? Through uh, using the methods of the Toltecs. Um, so what, how they explain it is imagine you're at a party where everyone is drunk right and you are the only sober person in the room but nobody knows that you know what i mean and like it it really breaks it down in a way where we can where, where you would understand like listen right your true authentic self right let me let me put into another another one which was a better analogy of what we were discussing Mm -hmm. so imagine you're you know everyone is lost in the fog Mm -hmm. there's a there's a fogginess around everyone and everyone is okay with being lost in the fog because they don't really know that the fog exists however once you acknowledge that the fog is there it actually clears way to a mirror which allows you to see who you are but the second that you start to you know acknowledge everyone else and like you know everything else and you start to acknowledge the or or you forget that the fog is there your true self you know becomes less uh less apparent to you and then just acknowledging that oh well um right now the fog is surrounding me would allow you to clear that you know so it's like it's a sense of yourself where just acknowledging like hey there is something that that is that is clouding my judgment right now because this is not the person that i really am and acknowledging that would allow you to see who you truly are so it it, obviously it it, um the book itself goes through a lot of little trials and things for you to try out to to pinpoint certain things in your life um and i believe that uh uh, I believe that the author is Miguel Ruiz Jr. Don um, Miguel, yeah, Don, Don Miguel, Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. Okay, so uh, I really would, I really recommend that book um, to whoever out there is struggling with, you know, anything that has to do with trying to figure out who you are, because a lot of us we have uh, a tendency to think that the person that you are is who you're meant to be. You are not meant to be that person. That it really is not the person that you are. You were programmed to be a, a very specific way, and you have to understand that programming uh if you are programmed to be a specific way that is in the benefit of the person that uh, that that helped program you in that way that is not to the benefit of you mm-hmm. right and i've always thought that you know my spirituality has always jumped from one to the other because i can't i can't really like pinpoint 
what what I truly believe in. But the thing that I believe in is I I don't tell someone that they are wrong in believing a specific thing, because if that is what you believe in and that helps you live a, a wonderful, true life and helps you find who you are truly meant to be, then, you know, that you are. Uh, who am I to right. sit here and tell you that you are wrong? Right. You that know, would be very arrogant. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I don't I don't tend to think that way, but I do believe that our time on Earth mm. is a time for us to realize, I think, uh, is for us to try to figure out who that true self is. Because um, in my belief, energy, I believe in the energies of the universe, whatever it may be. And it only makes sense to me that when the energy that is inhabiting this vessel leaves, it disperses elsewhere. So that energy that disperses elsewhere is you and your true self and the things that you have experienced throughout the universe, you know, for for that lifetime. Although our lifetime here is very limited, that lifetime has gone on and there are a lot of things that we have to figure out. And I and I believe every vessel that we inhabit, whether it's on Earth or wherever else, you know, whether it be in heaven or whatever, a little bit of us goes there. But here it is our job. To figure out who that being is because we have so many things that are clouding our judgment and so many things that are you know what i mean and not to go off on that that type of a tangent but these are all things that that have allowed me to look deeper into myself and try to figure out who my true my true self is right so i don't know if that's something that you would agree with or you know or whatnot but those are the things that that I thought about that allowed me to to think like, well, who am I? You know what I mean? Who am I really like without all of the distractions, without all of the noise that is in this world? Who am I? Would you agree with that? The, a lot of what you said parallels with a lot of what I think. OK. You know, um, I think we all take different paths to mm -hmm. realizing who we are, or what we are, what our purpose is. Um, I simply think that at, at my core, I am. Mm -hmm. simply, Period. Yeah, I am. You are. Yep. Yeah. Um, at my core, I am. And for me, um, that process definitely came with identifying what the distractions were, a.k.a. the noise. Um and then just finding time to listen. Right. Just to be still. Right. You know, to concentrate on my breathing. Mm-hmm. And just noticing that process. And for me, being still and being silent, um, being alone for a period of time, for me, that's where my answers came from. Yeah. And for me, that's when I realized my true self. Right. Um, and for me, that's what I would call my sense of, I guess, spirituality. Mm. Um, it's absent of any deity or any rituals or traditions. Right. It just simply is. Mm -hmm. And in that state of being or ism, I'm making that word up, I guess, ism, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I just acknowledge that I am just but a speck. Right. You know, my vessel and 
I'm not truly responsible for my being here. Right. Nor my parents or their parents. Right. You know? And so I'm here and I'm just trying to do the work. And right. my work is to help other people realize their true whatever potential. it is to realize their true potential absolutely to right. contact themselves and to manifest themselves to be the best them that they can be and I draw like examples from nature mm. I love going out to the trees to the woods when I worked out in industry with AB I don't know if you remember I used to always look at the birds and the trees and all that and just be like lost in that right you know but in nature I always liked ants when I was a little boy. And as I got older, I started really paying attention to ants. Mm -hmm. These jaws are so little, but they're so powerful. You heard me? Yeah. You take a colony of ants, and they can take down almost anything. Do some mm -hmm. damage. Yeah, only thing that really can kill them is poison or fire. Yep. You know, they float in water. I saw, saw something on TV. Their nest was on the ground. They got flooded. They came out, they locked their bodies together, made a nest, an airtight nest, mm -hmm. put the queen on top, the eggs on top, and then covered her with soldiers. They just floated till they found land. Amazing how the camera be following them, too. Mm -hmm. They got on land, built a bridge onto land with their bodies, mm -hmm. got everything off. Then they found a crab. They mauled the crab, went in through his ears and his mouth, and ate him from the inside out. Yep. I'm like, if people can learn from ants the collaborative efforts we can be much more successful than seeing the, the separation between us because there really isn't any separation well you know you True. know what what does separate them from us and why we can't find that unity is they go off of instinct they go off of an of an instinct you know uh, they don't know why they do what they do they just do i think our biggest issue with humanity is that we have a brain we have a brain that allows us to do amazing things but also they need proof in order to you know to to know that they that they can accomplish amazing things what happens with this big ass brain of ours yeah, yeah it's a great invention that right. we have and it separates us from all the other creatures you know right. we're one of those creatures too but what separates us yeah is this brain and it's amazing but what it does is it, it short circuits, it cuts off the connection from the instinctual self. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. know, that gut instinct you get. You know, yep. when you ignore that gut yep. and you don't follow that gut, mm. what do you say after that? Yeah. Damn. Should have listened. Yeah, <laughs> I should have listened, listened to, my gut. to yeah. myself. Yeah. But that's that brain short circuiting. You yeah. got to overanalyze shit. You know? Well, I think more so, like, uh, that's why the term is uh, follow your heart, because the brain will lead you astray every time. But following your heart and that feeling that you have, like, maybe you should do this, mm -hmm. you know, that's the that's your core. That's what keeps you alive. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So that feeling is connected to your nervous system, your heart, mm -hmm. the thing that keeps you pumping and keeps us alive. But you so got to have wisdom. You Lord, do have to have wisdom. To yes. Difference. Correct. Because if you just follow your heart, you'll be jacked up yeah. most of the time. Yeah. Oh, of you course. Know? It's so, yeah. that's it's the balance. That mm -hmm. balance. It's the yep. balance. <laughs> <laughs> and but the thing about balance though, Lord, is that we're never balanced. No. We have to always seek it though. Right. You know. 
Right. That's the thing. It's when to cut one off yeah. and rely on the other yeah. and then when to, you know, right. and, and just keeping that. All right, guys, it's that point of the episode where we give a few shout outs. This episode is brought to you by Tai Chi Bubble Tea in Aronacoit. Tai Chi Bubble Tea offers an array of different bubble tea flavors, uh, all types of fruit, uh, milk bubble tea. All of the tea is brewed fresh in-house. Uh, not only that, but they offer build-your-own sushi burritos. And they offer bowls of ramen as well. So you can head over to 2255 East Ridge Road and around the Coit, right in the Culver Ridge Plaza. Please check them out and let them know that Asylum sent you. This episode is brought to you by Regime CBD Vape and Smoke. They have a huge selection of CBD and vape products. They are located at 106 Cobblestone Court Drive in Victor, New York, right across the street from Eastview Mall. And remember, you must be 21 or older to enter the store. All right. So please visit them soon. We got we got pretty deep on that yeah. uh, on that end. Yeah. But that's naturally like how I look at things and how I look at life and probably why people look at me. And and I could be, you know, considered strange to some. But it's because I don't always like I, I open up to certain individuals and I open up to certain friends and stuff like that. And to everybody else, although, you know, I, I have no no malice with anyone um at the same time i'm very hesitant to uh, like really like show who i am because i don't know who you are i do i do sense like certain energies when someone when someone is a good person mm -hmm. uh, like you know i open up a little bit more and when someone is just like uh, i can't really pinpoint it but i can feel that yeah. and, and i listen to that a lot and i'll and i'll tell people all the time certain things like that um you know i'll i'll i concur with you on that to some <clears throat> level um but for myself I, I strive to always remain my authentic self, mm. no matter who is in the room yeah. with me. You know, even though I may be a bit more reserved in what I share or don't share, right. um, I'm still going to be my authentic self. Right. You know, I'm, yeah. As you should be. Yeah, yeah. As you should be. So somebody meet me in Timbuktu, and mm -hmm. they meet somebody that met me in New York, they're going to say, oh, yeah, that's the same guy. Okay. So, um... To get back onto you as an individual, when you got out of, when you got out of prison, did you end up, you know, pursuing your, you know, the the, the school career after that, and um, how did things go from that point? Well, I got out to joint in '97. Okay. Um, I think I was enrolled in school by the end of '98. Mm. Um, because that's what I wanted to do. That was my institution. That's where I felt most alive, most vibrant. Um, that was the most, plan. Most, that was the plan, yeah. yeah. You know, this brother, uh, I think Chris Wilson wrote this book called The Master Plan. I read his book. He did a, did a bit, but he had this plan. And as I read it, I was like, that's my plan, you know. But, um, yeah, I went right to school almost, man. Um, but while I was in school... Um, I violated my parole conditions. I mm. got just loose, man. I was out for three years. You know, I had beat the benchmark before somebody go back in. Right. I was out. I'm drinking, man. Drinking, driving. Yeah. Police catch up to me, man. I pull up in my driveway. It was winter. I'm out just riding, riding, yeah. man. You know. But strange thing, Feeling man. free. Yeah. The quick story, man. That night, um, I used to work, um, part-time up on Thurston Avenue right. at the YMCA, um, little satellite joint there. Mm -hmm. And I, every Friday I would get off from there and I would go down to Cross Keys Bar and get mm -hmm. some chicken wings, get mm 
get my car and go home. Mm. This night I didn't order ahead, so I went in there and ordered, sat down, had a couple drinks. Somebody came in, saw me, bought me a drink. By this time I'm saucy. Mm-hmm. I leave with my wings, go over to my uncle's house. He's passed away now. It's my father's brother. He knew I was jacked up, but he ain't stopped me. It ain't his fault. I drive home. I get home. My girlfriend's living with at the time, this Trinidadian sister. She's upstairs. I pull in the driveway. I'm safe. I'm home base, yo. She don't know I'm home. She don't know I'm saucy. She called me. Yo, can you go up on Main Street and get um, some food for me? Sure. I'm drunk. But that undermine mm-hmm. is telling me, don't go. Yeah, You're drunk. Yeah. Yep. I back out. I go up Main Street up by University. I was living on Adam Street. Get the Jones. But while I'm up there, I see some more people I ain't seen in a while. Yo, what's up, my <laughs> man? Yo, drinks on. Yo, they give me a drink. I know I shouldn't be drinking. I'm on parole. I'm out past curfew. I'm towed down. I come out of the place with her food. It's snow everywhere. I'm up on Maine University. I live right down over on Van Ark and Troop Street around there. Mm. I'm zipping down damn um, Main Street. Just zipping like I'm in the, <laughs> in the amusement park. I ain't paying attention to no cars, nothing. I get up in my neighborhood, I'm still zipping. I see my street, I'm just zipping. Yeah, in the snow, man. I'm drunk as hell, man. Pull up in my driveway, man. Get out. Man, there's police cars, lights everywhere. I hear guns click, 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 get in the car, hands up, hands up. I'm like, oh shit. I get in the car, yo. I remember the police come over to the car. I don't know how I remember this guy, I'm so damn drunk. He like, give me a driver's license. Man, I open my wallet, I give him my credit card, man. <laughs> they take me to the DMV van, he pulled it up in front of my house, the whole neighborhood lit up, people looking. Yeah. My girl on the porch, she's a balling. I'm just like, damn. They put me in the van, they trying to get me to blow in the tube, I won't blow. I'm drunk, but I won't blow. Instead, mm. instead of blowing, I'm sucking. They say blow, I'm <laughs> blow. <laughs> You know, and the police grabbing by the face, shaking me, blow, blow, you son of a bitch. <laughs> so they took me to jail, man. That's crazy. Yeah, and so I ended up staying in, in the county for about a month. Then I went to Willard. It was a a, 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 a boot camp, a boot camp for the Department of Corrections. I went there for like two months or something. Mm-hmm. Got out, came back home, finished parole, got off parole, um, 1999, I got back in school, um, graduated in 05 with an undergrad in um, health science um, with a concentration in substance abuse counseling. Okay. Um, that summer um, of 04, just before 05, 04, I went away to California and studied out there at the University of uh, San Francisco um, doing cigarette cessation um, studies, looking at people who were smoking cigarettes and drinking and seeing, you know, what was their rate of... Uh, stopping smoking you know so that that started my uh studies i was studying with this dude out there named uh, dr gary humfleet mm. and i was like oh yeah i like what he's doing you know and so when i went back um finished up my degree i started working um i was like man i'm tired of this work i'm working re-entry i'm doing substance abuse uh case management stuff like that i'm running groups but i really love groups i'm doing groups and that's where i was shining so I was like, I need to run one of these things or something. So anyway, I went back to school. I was like, I need to go to school and maybe just figure this out because right. what I'm doing is not good. So I went back, got a master's degree in, in mental health counseling, you know, 
And I was like, I like this, you know, I really like this. Not so much that I was getting the degrees, I just like the exercise, the academic exercise. And yeah. I like intellectualizing. And let me just backwards a little bit. I remember when I first came home, one of the adjustments that you asked me about mm -hmm. was connecting with girls. Mm. I remember, because one of my homeboys, and uh, this is how I'm gonna connect it to school, and, and, and intellectualizing, because one of my homeboys, and he's still my man, we've been friends for like 30 something years, went to high school together, everything. But I remember he slid up to me. He said, yo, man, if you want to connect with some of these sisters out here, you got to bring it down a little bit. You, you know, yeah. you're talking too smart. You're using too much big conversation. I said, man, shit, they're going to have to step up. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and I just realized I'm in the wrong circles, you know? Yeah. I'm in the wrong circles. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can imagine that, yeah. you know? It's not, it's not, um... You know, I talked about it in the podcast that, you know, I, I had you listen to. But, yeah, it's like that chameleon thing. And uh, that's another thing. You know, I commend you on not doing that. You know what I mean? Because when you make yourself a chameleon, you end up in the wrong circles, possibly. And, and you're putting yourself in situations that you more than likely shouldn't be in. Because Absolutely. you're just trying to, you know, you're, you're trying fit to fit into this crowd that you don't fit into. That's why I say I'm just my authentic self, right. man. Right. Work Take life. it or leave it. Indeed. You yep. know, like I teach now, you know, I went back to school. I got my doctorate degree. But, you know, Congrats. In, in big regards, a lot of thank you, brother. A lot yes, of cats in the penitentiary, man, they used to call me doctor and professor. And I used to mm -hmm. be like, oh, these niggas crazy. What the hell are y'all talking about? Yeah. You know, but now I wish they could see me, mm -hmm. you know, but I teach now, you, will. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, especially, and I can't remember their names, but the ones who planted the seeds, I wish they could see me so they right. know what they did to yes. me. Yes. You know, I'm always grateful to them cats. I'm about to cry thinking about them cats. Yeah. Man. You know, they planted that. They planted that. Mm -hmm. You know, and even though, you know, the penitentiary is like a pit of shit, you know, but in shit, you know, certain kind of shit, you know, you can get the best growth, mm -hmm. you know, so I was able to grow out of that, you right. know. But I think I. What do the, we use to, to fertilizer? Right. That's what I'm talking about. The <laughs> yeah. best shit. Yeah. You know? But, you know, I also, you know, I'm grateful to the people that raised me, too. Even though, you know, I, I grew up in a broke family, a broken family. You know, my family was not the traditional family. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of different family members helped raise me. I went through some shit. But overall, the people who were involved in raising me, they set good examples. They gave me good shit. And so when I was in that quiet place, in that deep, dark place, in that penitentiary cell, all that shit they gave me start coming out. Mm. It started just coming out. Like, look, look what you know. Don't you remember this? And yo, son, I'm sitting there, I'm crying. I'm in the cell by myself crying. Like, damn, I knew all this and I didn't exercise yeah. this. And so in a sense, son, I just start scooping it up and laying it out and figuring out how I'm gonna get my shit back together, mm -hmm. you know. And I remember telling one guy in the penitentiary, yo, I'm gonna go back to college when I get out. I'm going to go to college. Mm -hmm. Not back. I'm going to go to college. And a bunch of them, they was like, nigga, you crazy. You ain't going to college. Fuck, right. fuck you. You'll be right back here with us. You know? Right. So that was them too. Right. You know? So right. in a sense, I did it to defy the people who said I couldn't. I manifested seeds that cats planted in me that I didn't realize. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I wanted to defy the odds. Because I know so many people go to penitentiary, they make a mess out of their life. I said, that's not going to be me. Right. Yeah, I made a mistake. You know, I fell down, but watch how I get up. Right. It watch was a mistake. Up. Yeah. Right. It's not, It's it, it wasn't you. It was a horrible You know what mistake, I mean? It's man. not. Yeah, I was drunk. I was high. I was angry. I was young. I was imbalanced. Yeah. You know, and 
to this day, I'm, I'm, I'm really, you know, there's days when I get, I really get down for the crime I committed because I almost killed somebody, mm-hmm. man. You know? Yeah. And I, and yeah. you know, a lot of people don't come to that realization. And I have, um, I was, you know, raised in uh, a family where, you know, we had to do, you know, the family had to do what they had to do. And my father, you know, has a fifth grade education. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was a lot of similarities in, in, in a lot of those aspects where I have cousins that are that are in prison for, you know, for life mm-hmm. because of a decision that they made. Um, that they found was, you know, a very necessary decision at that point of their life. So, um, so I can definitely, you know, align with you on that, where I saw that go down and they're, they're very, you know, good people. And when it comes down to it, like, I don't know the, the specifics to that situation, you don't necessarily have to go into that, but, um, but in their situation, or at least in what my one cousin's situation, he thought his life was in danger. And in that sense, he had to make the decision either I'm going to go or someone else is going to go. And then that, that other person, you know, um, ended up going. So, so we get put into these situations where we have to make decisions on the fly Mm -hmm. and, you know, are those decisions, uh, you know, life altering? Yes. But, but can they ultimately like define the person that you are? No, no, not at all. Cause none of us are the same person we were when we were a teenager right none of us right i was a teenager i was 19 years old i'm not making no mistakes but i know i'm not the same guy mm-hmm. you know by no stretch of the imagination but for the rest of my life there'll be a, a contingency of people no matter what circle i move in who will bring up my past yeah they'll bring it up and so because of that also that's why i padded myself up mm-hmm. you know like in the penitentiary when guys know they about to get in a knife fight Mm-hmm. They get magazines and stuff, and they weave them up and put them in a jacket. They yeah. make like a bulletproof jacket, they mm-hmm. flat jacket, you know. Yep. So in a sense, I padded myself up, but with degrees and experience and knowledge, so that when people come at me with those sharp pokers saying, "Oh, look at your past, look what you did," I'm like, "Yeah, but look what I did." Yeah, but look, look what, what I, I am. Done. Yeah. Look what I've done since then. Right. You know, right, and that, right, right. that's what I want you to look at. You right, know? right. 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 So, so you've come an extremely long way from you know being a teenager that got incarcerated for attempted murder to having your phd with yet which yes congratulations on that because that is not that is not an easy feat for someone not in those conditions to to accomplish you know with just their you know day to day um so the, the i the trauma of living there makes it difficult to just adjust correct correct day to day living yeah so so in order to you know you accomplishing you know, getting your, your, your PhD. It's an EDD actually. Oh, it's an EDD. Education okay. doctorate degree. Oh, that's yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. St. John Fisher college right here, Rochester. That's beautiful. Yeah. St. John's is a, is a wonderful college. So, um, you know, so I congratulate you on that. I commend you on that. What are you doing nowadays? Um, you know, to, to further, you know, your, you know, your career, in that space and allowing, you know, for, for you to help other individuals not follow in those steps as many have before them? Well, my primary job and title is that of father and husband. Mm. I have two beautiful sons, Ismail and Issa. Ismail is 14 and Issa is eight. Well, Ismail will be 14 later this year, actually. Okay. But so my primary job is to be a good father and example to them and to be a good husband to my wife. That's beautiful. You know, and then outside of that, I spend time volunteering. I go down to the parole board whenever I can here in Monroe County, mm. and I talk with the, the people who are coming back to the community after incarceration. I share my story with them. Okay. Um, 
and then you know for work um I work out at the college at Brockport. Um, I work with first-generation um, college students for a program called C-STEP in McNair. And so we're preparing students to go on to graduate school for their master's degrees, their doctorate degrees, and wow. helping students um, also achieve their uh, undergraduate degrees uh, that lead to fields uh, where they would uh, require a license, such as like nursing or something like that. Okay. You know, and we help them with research and help develop students and give them um, lots of supports. And not only are these students first generational, but many of them have economic issues as well. So, mm. you know, so that's what I'm doing mostly. Okay. You know? And then also, um, yeah, I, I do some public speaking. I've been doing some trainings. You know, I did a training recently um, for a local agency on, um, the impact of emotional intelligence okay. and how to help other people engage. They called me to do that because they saw me do a presentation on my research, on my dissertation for my doctorate, which focused on the impact of emotional intelligence on people returning to the community from prison okay. and how their emotional intelligence can help them stay out. Mm. And so I interviewed a series of men who live in the Rochester area who've been out of prison for longer than three years. And I interviewed them about what did you do or what worked for you you know what did you rely on to start making the best decisions okay and so it essentially boiled back down to different aspects of emotional intelligence like responsible decision making and relationship and self-awareness and stuff like that but okay. so I did a training like that um I'm preparing to do another one of these trainings on emotional intelligence and um next week uh actually a day from today I'll be going to prison I'm going down to Sing Sing Prison to do a TEDx um, talk, um, TEDx 2020 down in Sing Sing. So I'll be down That's there on the man. 7th. Yeah, so those are some of the things I'm doing. And I'm also I'm working on a book. I'm looking for the right publisher right now. Okay. Um, I got a, a transcript written out about my life a little bit and some of my penitentiary experience and some of my insights I gained. You know, so okay. that's what I'm doing nowadays, man. That sounds that sounds wonderful, man. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh yeah, let us uh do you do they have a date when, when that TED talk will uh, will air or will be available? Not just yet? Not just yet. Okay. We're going down, um actually I'll be heading down on the morning of the sixth and we'll be um doing a test run in the evening on the sixth at in Sing Sing, I guess in their auditorium or wherever it'll take place. Okay. Um I think that's a very old prison, so I'm not really sure. Um, but then on the seventh, um, I think in the afternoon on the seventh, um, which is a Friday, yeah, we'll be recording the actual event. That's wonderful. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm really excited about that. I'm also a bit nervous because you know I ain't been back to prison, man, and so I'm not really sure what my emotional response yeah. is going to be. Yeah, I think um, I, I think how you should feel is proud. You know, first and foremost, because you're not going to that prison in the same. Um, I got you. Uh, you're not going to prison in the same sense, uh, you know, or in the same situation where you where you had before. This time is with a purpose to help others, you know, to help individuals not follow, you know, that same path, um, you know, that repetitive path Absolutely. that that many many people have fallen, you know, Absolutely. into in the past. So and I just want to be an example to that. Exactly. Yeah. And there'll be other cats there too who've been out for a while and they're doing successful stuff with their life well but yeah yeah you know i always said to myself that i did want to come back to the penitentiary one day while i was in there i said that to myself i mm. said i want to come back on my own terms and leave on my own terms Correct. and so that's what this is so absolutely brother um 
I'm proud of the opportunity to go there. I will be proud when I show up there. But I think there's a couple other emotions, you know, underneath mm-hmm. there, such as a little bit of anxiety, yeah. you know. So I, I have to acknowledge that. You know, I can't even say a little bit of anxiety. That's qualifying it. Yeah. There's, there's some anxiety. Yeah. There, you know I can saying? only imagine. Yeah. I can only imagine. But, but no fear, you know, like Bone Crusher said, I ain't never scared. Right. You know, I ain't never scared. So right. I ain't scared what is, what is What is fear when you've prepared for this, right? You know, you've prepared yeah. for that moment. Yeah. Amen. I false expectations appearing real. No. Yep. I I say it all the time, man. If something is scary, then that means that you are you are meant to do that. You know what I mean? You should follow your heart and Absolutely. you know and actually go through with it. Absolutely. Uh, because the scariest things in the world, uh, like uh, to to quote Will Smith, mm. <laughs> right? God put everything. Uh, that was worth having on the other edge of fear, mm. you know, on the other side of fear. Mm. You know what I mean? So, so you get over that fear. So you have to get over that fear. through it. Exactly. Mm. You have to go through that fear and, mm. and actually go past it mm. to feel the ultimate bliss that comes from, mm. you know, from that situation. And Going through fear is the equivalent of what I see is like placing um, – something in the fire Mm -hmm. a killing fire Mm -hmm. furnace fire and the fire is going to burn the shit out of it until the purity is left right everything will go except what is meant to be Mm -hmm. the fire can't penetrate that so going through the 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 fear is like going through the fire you know it's stealing you it's it's, it's making you uh much more solid you know yeah you can withstand the fire 100%. 100%. Yeah, because there's always going to be a challenge in our life, you know. Right. So no matter what the challenge is, you know, if it's a righteous challenge and it's for a good cause, I definitely believe that we have to push through it. You do. You know? Absolutely. I, I completely agree with that. Um, another another book that, that helped me kind of realize certain things like that is The Obstacle is the Way. The obstacle is the way because, um, you know, a lot of people come up, come across obstacles and they, they look at it just as that, like, oh, well, there's something right in the way of that. You know what I mean? But there's that obstacle is there for a reason. And and when you discover how to, you know, get over that obstacle or, you know, get past it right. The next time you come across the same obstacle, it's it's not as big as as you thought it was the first time. Right. And then you get yourself over enough obstacles that that the things that, you know, the obstacles that you had before you, you look back at and you go, uh, you know, you kind of laugh at it. Well, think think about this. Two things come to my mind. Um, One is when I was a young man. I was in jail. I was waiting to get out on bail. This mm. older cat in there. Um, he was probably the age I am now. Right. Um, I'm 49. He was probably a little younger than I am now. And I was like 19. He says to me, he said, you're a smart guy. You seem very smart. He said, instead of engaging in all the crap that you've been engaging in, if you want to be successful, when you get out of here, start making small goals for yourself. Yeah. He said, and you'll achieve those goals. Mm-hmm. He said, and then start making bigger goals, just a little bigger. And eventually you'll start making much bigger goals and you'll look back on your successes. That makes, you yeah. know. And then another thing that comes to my mind is also, um, and A.B., you see this, is, is weight training. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. when we lift weights, um, when we move resistance, our muscles get thicker. Mm-hmm. They get stronger. We have more endurance. So that's what, right. So what do we do? We pile on some more steel. Mm-hmm. some more weight so we can get thicker right and bigger yep. right and yep. so that's what those obstacles are when we learn to work through them you know 
work around them, over them. We learn to strategize, you know. So instead of seeing them as something negative, seeing as something positive, because you need Correct. to get through those to get to what you need to get to. Correct. Right, right. Instead of what's in my way, how can I circumnavigate that? How can I get around, under, over, through that? Right. Absolutely. Right. So, so pretty much like we, we spend a lot of time building those muscles in our, you know, in our body. And a lot of people ignore the, the, the most important muscle that we have, which is our brain, you know, and our, and our knowledge of self. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so definitely we're going to, you know, kind of cap it off on that. Um, brother, let everybody know how they can get in contact with you, how, you know, how you can be reached to to possibly do any kind of you know for bookings whatever it may be yeah well um i don't really do the um social media too much but you can definitely find me um on facebook it's just craig walid mm -hmm. c-r-a-i-g-w-a-l-e as in edward another e as in edward and d as in david craig okay. walid or you could email me right at um C A W zero eight seven zero at gmail dot com. Okay. Yeah. Hey, um, it's been a wonderful um, conversation that I had with you. You had definitely shared a lot uh, of knowledge that you've you know accumulated over the years and your in your experiences. And again, congratulations on your degree and you, you know. Um, all of the you know getting over all of the obstacles and hurdles that you have throughout your life because uh i there's no doubt in my mind that with the the mentality that you have and the mindset that you have that you know there are going to be better things bigger things you know in the world for you um just take advantage of the platform to get out as much to as much uh you know to as much people as possible because someone may listen to your story uh down the road and find you know and and that will be that spark that someone instilled in you so long ago mm -hmm. that allowed you to get into the, to be in the position that you are in today thank you brother you know you know i i look at the work that i do or the life i'm wanting to live is that of like a farmer or a husbandry man mm -hmm. working in the vineyard you know we plant seeds correct and we watch them grow some right. of them will not grow for various reasons but the ones that do grow mm -hmm. we may not see them grow someone else may harvest them and groom them but my job is to plant seeds and to harvest the ones that i can correct you know and so yeah. i give a lot of thanks and, and honor to the people that raise me and i give a lot of thanks and honor to the universe because anything and everything that you see from me out of me mm -hmm. is really not me it right. comes from creation i am simply a conduit mm -hmm. just making a way to allow the power the energy the force from the universe to flow through me and to use me because in reality i'm just a vessel i'm a tool and that's all i want to do as we all are Thank you, everyone, for tuning into this week's episode. If you took anything away from this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite app. 
if you feel like you have friends or family that could take away from this or just me, might be entertained by the conversations had on this podcast please share that with your family and friends on social media uh also follow the asylum podcast on ig it is at asylum pod a-s-y-l-u-m-p-o-d uh that's for the instagram handle and as always if people are calling you crazy then you're on the right path peace